Welcome back to another episode of Flatten the Curve, Strengthen the Black Dollar. I'm your host, EA Green, the CEO of the Open Media Agency. And here, we're here for another week, and this time is a little bit special, right? Last couple of weeks, we've had just one guest that kind of talked about different things between banking and relationships and creating generational legacy. But now we're going to get into politics. So now I have a few councilmen from the city of High Point, and we have Cyril Jefferson, Michael Holmes, and Tyrone Johnson. How you guys doing today? You know, I really appreciate you guys, you know, being able to make it here. You know, um, I'm very, actually very, very excited about this uh, particular conversation because for just for everyone at home who's paying attention to this, that's everyone's uh, first term, right, uh, within office. But before we kind of, I feel like I'm kind of presumptuous kind of jumping in. So before we go into that, can we just let everybody know a little bit more about yourselves and, you know, what ward you, you represent and like a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So, EA, first of all, thank you. And shout out to Piedmont Business Capital for hosting this event. My name is Cyril Jefferson. I have the privilege of serving High Point's uh, residents in the first ward. Uh, I also have the high honor of being the youngest ever to serve on High Point City Council. That's awesome. Um, and well, we've been in our term now eight months and look forward to ext- extending this. I, I, term ends in 2023. Yeah, thank you. Um, My name is Michael Holmes, and I'm privileged to serve uh, High Point 6 Ward. Um, I uh, have uh, been in and around politics most of my life, uh, but decided to kind of join the fray a few years ago as a candidate at large, and and then um, in November decided to run for the term. So, we're excited about the opportunities that we have uh, to move High Point forward in a positive direction. So, um, these, you know, serving with these guys is, uh, is, has been a pleasure. Uh, we've been able to make some, you know, pretty in, in, incredible changes, uh, uh, in the first eight or nine months of the term. And so, um, we're just looking forward to what High Point, uh, can do and uh, the future of High Point and, and how we can, uh, make High Point evolve into the city of the future. Awesome. Hi, uh, again, thank you so much for having us. Uh, my name is Tyrone E. Johnson, and I represent the um, at-large uh, for the city of High Point. And honestly, um, I have, um, with politics, ever since I was little, I, I can say that um, definitely I wanted to get involved in it, but I wanted to get involved in it. At the right time. And so praying about it for many, many years. And I finally got my answer uh, that this was the season to go forth um, again, because we want to move High Point forward for all of High Point citizens. So um, and I just believe in being an agent of change. So that's where we are. So I think this is uh, it's very, very important. Right. So you guys, you know, have different uh, different stories, right? Different journeys about how you kind of got to this point where you decided city councilman is the way that you want to give back, the way that you want to serve. But I'm assuming that everyone has had other things going on, right? You might, you might be working, you might have your own business, you might be doing anything, right? And it requires a certain level of tenacity and sacrifice to really kind of get into politics. So, what can you guys share about why now? Like, why was it important for you guys to actually start getting into politics, uh, like currently, right, and decide to go through city government rather than statewide or anything else? 
Yeah, thank you for that question. So for me, I've always been a community guy um, by passion and by trade. I'm an educator. I'm a nonprofit professional. Um, and for years, I'd worked in the school system. I'd worked with young people. Um, and, and for me, mentoring and youth development is such a great tool uh, to transform lives. And if we transform the lives of our young people, I vehemently believe, then we transform the trajectory of our communities at large. Um, and so uh, there was a period of time in which our city had seen years of young people being involved in less than ideal activity and, and crime and violence and so many other things. And, uh, you know, just knowing what we know, we realized that most times they're turning to those kinds of things. Uh, it's really just a byproduct or symptom of other issues, lack of resources, lack of opportunities, lack of exposure, lack of needed support. Um, and so uh, there, there's one particular instance in which a young person who, who I had known, but, you know, within my capacity for what I did, I didn't have the chance to work with that young person. He was just outside probably the threshold of, of kids I was working with. And um, when I got the news that he had been involved in some nefarious activity that would um, have him go be incarcerated, mm -hmm. um, he's still incarcerated now. That's when I knew that I had to have a larger impact. I need to be able to reach more. And local government is, in my opinion, the perfect vehicle to incite that change. Um, local government is what decides how communities are developed. Local government provides equitable housing, local government can shift the atmosphere of economic vitality. And if we do those things, um, those are some of the biggest components of transforming lives for the good. Got it. Got it. What about you, Tom? I definitely think that um, that this was, again, the, the time and the season to um, run for office for um, local office because um, definitely we can do some good things in high point um, but definitely in the climate that we're currently in um, it's good to see African Americans um, leading okay again like I said I've always been um, an agent of change working with young people um, working with um, kids that have special needs and of course uh, now I'm pastoring a, a local church here in the city of High Point. And so that is serving also. So I just believe in serving. OK, and, and definitely with our young people, with our young folks, they need to see some positive role models. OK, again, our city, we, we can prosper. Our city can be very prosperous, but it needs to be that way for all. And so definitely I think that this is the time. Um, for us to go forward, for us to go forth. We're doing some great things in High Point. And definitely with that um, becomes accountability. Uh, with that, it becomes um, we're determined. Okay. And, and for our young people and for all of our citizens, uh, again, because I represent at large, which is the entire city, um, I want us to all, um, we're all are invited at the table. We all are at the table. And so definitely when things are going well downtown, um, we need to be all invited at the table. Right. Okay. So we want to make sure that that happens and pushing high point forward. That's the only way that it can happen. Got it. How about you, Michael? 
you know, I look at the demographics of the country, and as the country continues continues to move in a more diverse fashion, as it continues to grow in a more diverse fashion, as um, <clears throat> the the lines of race and ethnicity continue to expand of groups, representation matters. Right. And so, looking at um, government as a whole, if you were to turn on the TV and you look at Washington. Um, you can see that it's not very representative, you know, representative of, of what the country looks like. And so, um, I spent the last 25 years in the private sector, in private sector and business. Um, and I know that change, when you're going to make change in an organization, it doesn't come from the top down. It comes from the, from the ground up. And so <clears throat> I always make this analogy when someone asks me that quite the question that you asked, why not state level? Why not federal level? I said, well, um, if, an earthquake happened on the West Coast. We may feel tremors here, but if it happened in the middle of our city, it's going to be damaged. Right. Um, and so for, for, for us, the biggest, the most effective change is going to happen at the local level for people's lives. And so I wanted to be part of crafting that change in a positive fashion. Um, and making sure that when that change happens, it represents all people that, that, that no one is left out. Um, and that for those who have been marginalized, that now they have a voice. And so even though I'm an African-American man and I serve with four other African-American men, we understand what it means to be left on the outside looking in when it comes to having a voice at the table. And so what we offer and what, you know, my strategy going into this is, you know, be open to hearing from all communities. Um, don't be siloed to the fact of, well, I'm an African-American. I only serve African-Americans. That's not the way this is supposed to work. Right. This is representative democracy. So, um, you know, I represent every member of the sixth ward. And um, that's why I wanted to be part of this. I wanted to connect my ward to the broader advancement of the city. Right. Um, you know, just a little background. You know, my ward is, is uh, probably the most affluent ward in the city. Okay. Um, and sometimes we can feel disconnected. Things often are going fairly well. Um, but I also believe that, you know, we can be part of the solution for the city. And so I wanted to make sure that uh, I connected people in Ward 6 with everything that was going on downtown. Um, when I came to High Point, I didn't, I didn't ne- always volunteer in my ward. Uh, I moved, I went downtown and I saw the need uh, in the other wards, and that inspired me to get involved. Um, it inspired me to want change for everybody. You know, we we right. don't move forward as a city one ward at a time. We move forward together. Right. Um, and so, if you can change a ward, you can change a city. If you can change a city, you can change a district. You can change a district, you can change a state. Change right. a state, you can change a country. So, um, you know, for me, that's 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 why I was inspired to get involved. No, I understand that. So, I feel like as a, a very it's a point that you mentioned that i've never really looked at it before right so of course you have the city as a whole right and you are representative of your ward right or of you know of your jurisdiction but there's i feel like there would be a easily confused point to like hey like we should only be worried about us right we should only be worried about what we have going on right and the right re- in the reference to like the resources that are available, right? So if there's only a finite amount of resources, like you need to make sure that our ward gets blank, right? But you mentioned how, you know, you kind of seen like the the need in the other wards and how that 
kind of inspired you to kind of like say, hey, like we have and others don't, but in order for us to all kind of grow, like we have to kind of work together. All right. So the reason why I bring that up is because I'm kind of looking at it in terms of the triad as a whole. All right. So, you know, I'm not from um, North Carolina. Like I've been here for, you know, a little almost five years or so. Uh, but you don't necessarily hear too much about High Point, right? In terms of Greensboro and then you have, uh, then you have Winston and stuff like that. So like, can you explain or kind of just share a little bit more about what the, the pol- the local politics as a whole in terms of the triad and how we all kind of work together in unison to kind of move forward? Well, I, I think that's actually, I, I think it's a work in progress. I think High Point has, um, been so specific in where it fit in the scheme of the triad. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're the furniture capital of the world. Right. That's what we've that's, been. That's, that's, that's the what, first thing that everybody knows right. High Point has. Right. And so if you look at, you know, globalization, if you look at global economics, those things have kind of ebbed over time. And so, um, where High Point used to have a very defined role in the scope of the triad, that's that's kind of changed. And so it's not the force that it used to be. So now we have to redefine ourselves and, and reposition ourselves in what role we fit into the triad. So um, I think uh, going forward, um, High Point has an opportunity because we're also no- known as you know North Carolina's international city. And so we have an opportunity there to take all the things that I just talked about in terms of diversity and equity and, and, and change and uh, demographics and mold that into a new identity. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I would say that specifically High Point is is known kind of, you know, in in, in a uh, older fashion as, you know, high, you know the, the, the furniture capital of right. the world is, is known, uh, it's branded that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for change here. You know, this out of loss stems opportunity. Right. And so I think that's where we are right now. I understand. Do you guys have anything that you might want to add? So I'll say this. I think the Piedmont triad has a tremendous opportunity. Um, When you look at us as a region, I think collectively what we're able to secure and get done um, and create is much larger than what any of us can do individually. Um, High Point's a city of nearly 120,000. Winston's just a little bit north of 200,000. And Greensboro, I think, is edging up on 300,000, right? But you take those three of the bigger cities here in Triad, along with every other municipality that's wow. in the Triad, right? And I don't know, about a million and a half people. Right. And we are our own sort of ecosystem and our own regional community that Essentially, if we leverage that capacity, then what we could draw in in regards to economic development, what we could do to revise our transportation systems, how we could uh, encourage and support our education systems. Um, the opportunities there allow us to become even more attractive so that when someone considers moving, you know, there's plenty of people who live in one city and go work in another one and go out to eat in another one and go serve in another one and have family in another one. Right. And all, all four of us, I imagine, you know, in, in any given month can say that we've been in a number of spots throughout the Piedmont. Right. Exactly. And so I think at a certain point, 
while we do have to, you know, we're, we're, we are chiefly responsible for what we do for the city of High Point. I love the city of High Point. I, I could sing about it all day long. I think that we are able to maximize what High Point can do when we look at it as, as a part of a region and are willing to work with our, our other officials, other community leaders in our sister cities um, so that we can attract and recruit opportunities to this area. Got it. I understand. I would add just briefly to that is that High Point, we're, we're definitely unique because we, um, we expand over what four counties. Okay. And so definitely we bring to, um, to the table that, uh, but definitely as in maximizing what we have here in High Point, um, I'm excited about High Point's future. Um, I'm excited about what, where we're at now, but definitely on where we're going. And so definitely, um, High Point, um, our sister cities, Greensboro, Winston-Salem. I'm definitely excited about them as well, but definitely High Point um, because we are, again, <laughs> expanded yeah, on um, four different counties. And, and and so we can pull from that when we're, when we're talking to um, certain companies, um, as in come, getting them to come here, bring right. your, you know, bring your home office here. Um, and so definitely um, – maximizing that opportunity got it so you you mentioned something in terms of just kind of like how a high point is kind of moving right and you guys are uh are part of the um i guess the catalyst to really kind of help jump start and moving things forward right kind of i kept hearing you guys mention that like moving high point forward but i know with 2020 like everyone had plans right and they kind of came to a screeching halt and, uh, you know, with coronavirus, uh, you know, with this year. So I just kind of want to get an understanding from your perspective about how High Point is kind of like dealt with like coronavirus, right? In terms of, uh, the effects from, uh, you know, maybe from healthcare to, you know, economics to businesses. Like, can you give us a little bit more color about what the state of High Point is today? Despite the challenges that 2020 has brought to the city of High Point and communities all over the world, um, I think that what's become overwhelmingly apparent to me is the resilience of our community. Um, when you say, well, hey, you have plans to, to move your city forward in 2020, you know, what has it done to restrict that? Yeah. I don't think it's done that at all. Uh, if anything, it's shine a light on a few things okay. um, and maybe even embolden folks to come aboard some of the progressive movements that we're doing. Um, you, you talk about uh, the work that we're doing in regards to diversity and inclusion in our city government, right? That includes the, some historical efforts such as um, revising our hiring policy for personnel, revising um, what we do with minority and women business enterprises, hiring a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, look at all these things. This was an effort that we'd undertaken since the beginning of the term. We made it an emphasis at our strategic leadership retreat, and it's a part of all of our goals over this term. But you imagine what happened in, in May, right. right, in Minneapolis, the, the unfortunate event, but an event that served as a catalyst for change all over the world. It made what we were doing just that much stronger. Um, and, you know, I, I'll say that I brought that term up or that, that event up because I think it also connects to what we're seeing in COVID 
is that COVID exposed so many disparities right. and inequities. And, you know, as, as we're having this conversation about, you know, the killing of unarmed black men and women in America, we're now able to, I think, segue that into a conversation about how structural racism plays out in so many different industries, sectors, um, and components that affect everyday life. And so uh, you mentioned healthcare, you mentioned education, you mentioned job and economic development, you mentioned housing, so many things. You know, I, I'm proud of our city. I'm proud not just before government and the leaders of government, but, you know, critical stakeholders, our partners in the chamber and High Point University, visit High Point Convention and Visitors Bureau, uh, United Way, our hospital. I'm sure I'm leaving some folks out, Ford High Point and so many others, how we've all caped up to say, this is our city. Michael mentioned our brand of being this international city and everyone's, everyone's really caught on to that. It's a fire that's growing, that it's always been our brand, but we're looking to say, how do we best leverage the diverse talents of our citizenry to become the very best version of ourselves? And COVID-19 has shown us that this isn't just a work that we need to be committed to over the long term. It's actually work that we need to put some urgency behind and make some short-term impact. As uh, Councilman Jefferson mentioned um, in reference to um, us being the international city, okay, with us having that name, a lot of that that, that comes with, um, I love how the High Point City Council looks now. Okay. It looks more like High Point. Okay. Um, because we're representing High Point as a whole, especially me as being the at large. Um, but I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Okay. Uh, and I believe, um, with the, the COVID-19, um, even though, um, it, it has uh, shocked a lot of us. However, High Point partners, our stakeholders, our citizens, we have still rallied behind one another, pushing High Point forward, even during this time. Um, of course, as it, is, as it has been around the state, not just our state, but of course, it has affected, you know, the tax, the taxes, okay, right. or the tax base and the income coming in. However, we're still working with what we have and we're still pushing forward. And, and that's the main thing that, um, as Sarah has said, um, that a lot of our stakeholders, High Point University and, and so on, are still pushing and still behind this council 100%. Right. And uh, we were doing and had planned these things even before um, the May um, incident um, that we were already talking about that. And again, it has put some, some teeth behind what we were doing already. And so um, that just shows to me that that high point that we're on the right, we're on the right path. Okay. And not taking anything from what happened in May, but definitely we are on the right path. It didn't take that to happen for us to get on the right path. To kind of emphasize the the importance of it. Absolutely. And, and definitely that we needed this in high point. Um, also we're looking at, um, minority contracts want to make sure that we have enough um, or that we're given every whether you're um, owned by minority owned by a woman um, that you have every opportunity to work with our city right. we want to make sure of that and so we're looking at that also so 
So, um, but I, I do believe that we're on the right path. I think the, I think the word, um, and Cyril used this word is resilience. That has been kind of the theme of the city because you can almost feel the undercurrent of a reemergence of everything that was going positively in our, our, our city pre COVID. Um, you know, I, I look at the opportunities that are coming to my ward. There's still development opportunities coming. There are still developers seeking to come, uh, to High Point. Uh, it hasn't dampened their enthusiasm about what High Point can offer, uh, for them. Um, but it's just kind of put us in a holding pa- pattern. And, you know, for, and I, I certainly want to, uh, empathize with the 180,000 people that have lost their lives, uh, due to COVID. Um, we have, you know, the silver lining of this is that it's exposed those inequities in our society. It's laid bare those things that we need to fix that could prevent another 180,000 people from losing their lives due to structural inequality. Um, and so we stand in a space to where in our city we have a chance to address those things. Our, our, you know, failings of our education system, the inability of African American and minority entrepreneurism to, to, to gain ground. Um, we have an opportunity to look at healthcare disparities, uh, in our community. We have an opportunity to drive forward, um, foundational change, uh, in, in education, not just on, uh, not just for our, our kids, but also for those who want to, you know, build economic, uh, independence in the future. So we're talking about, you know, uh, in, business incubators. We're talking about expanding access to capital. We're talking about uh, making sure that the, the contracting process is equitable and fair and transparent. You know, we're talking about, you know, making sure that the city um, does its due diligence in how it awards contracts to minorities. Um, and we're also talking about making sure that um, testing um, and healthcare opportunities get to our, our communities uh, as quickly as possible. So I think the we are resilient. I think that our stakeholders have come together. Um, and I think there has been an acknowledgement in a way that there probably hasn't been before of the realities of structural inequality. And so I think that's the thing that, the you know, I said earlier, out of loss comes opportunity. And I think out of the loss of commerce and the loss of our tax base and certainly above all the loss of lives uh, due to COVID, the opportunity for us to, to, to rebuild and, and to build a, a fair system is here. And I think, uh, we have to seize this moment. Um, and we can't let it pass by. And if we do, shame on us. All right. So I just, one quick follow up question in terms of just like how like the economics of High Point is really kind of, um, shaking out. So when you mentioned that, uh, you know, when basically you kind of lose, you know, kind of lose some of those resources and other opportunities come, in my mind, it kind of makes me think that innovations pop up, right? So now, you know, when you're able to do something in one particular way and that resource is gone, you might have to try to figure something else out. So knowing that, you know, with the, from like, I guess from a city council perspective, were there any things that you guys had to implement to be creative or to be innovative to make sure that, uh, things can continue to move forward as planned. Yeah. So 
I think where we've been innovative, at least from a high point uh, standpoint, you know, we've been innovative relatively with regards to how we're embracing, how we're inviting, how we're including many more at the table. Um, I think that in High Point, you'll find that per capita, we're amongst the wealthiest in the country. Huh. You know, the, the, the money of, of our furniture industry titans and folks who have been in business for years. I mean, we're, we're headquarters to, to, to so many thriving businesses that, you know, there, there's money in High Point. There's no doubt about that. Where we had our strategic leadership retreat in February, one of the points that was made, and uh, it, it was that if PowerPoint is going to thrive and, and you know mitigate potential shortfalls economically, then we have to diversify essentially our revenue stream. Right. And you know, you look at our downtown revitalization effort, you look at the Stadium Catalyst project, and all the great work that's gone into that. You know, we we go to these events, and I'm looking around, right. And and we're in a room right now. Uh, it's about four or five black individuals in this room, surrounded by white. And that's what every event looks like. You know what I mean? And and that, that's not to say. Listen, I I I, I want to make it very clear and very plain that that I love people of all races, and creeds, nationalities, and ages. And certainly, uh, I, if it weren't for our allies who are white, who are working with us, some of this work wouldn't be getting done. I want to make it very clear. Even if we didn't take a socially responsible, altruistic approach to this thing, if we just looked at the bottom line, right? If right. We just, let's just talk common sense here. Black people spend money. Right. There is power in the black dollar. And if we choose to be inclusive and inviting and welcoming to that money to come play in high point and live in high point and work and serve in high point, that goes back to into our tax base. It goes back into our, our sales revenue, our sales tax, which comes back into the city's tax revenue so that we can continue to do more services and have a greater impact on the city of High Point. But when we don't seem like a city that wants to play well with people who aren't white, right? right? Those people will take their money and spend it somewhere. Right. And we want to ensure that, you know, again, it's just taking the common sense approach to it that says, there's money going around and we'd be fools not to find a way to, to maximize the opportunity for that investment to take place here. So as, as um, I was going to say brother zero, but as Cyril <laughs> mentioned, um, yeah, there is definitely opportunity. Okay. In high point um, to where you're, you're correct about, um, the black, the white, my money's green. Okay. No matter what hand it comes out of, it's still going to be green. Okay. So we want to take the opportunity. We want you to spend your money in high point. Okay. We don't want you to take your money to another city and spend your money there. Um, and, and that's why we have to make sure that we feel welcome or people feel welcome, no matter what race you are, to spend your money in high point we will take your money in high point okay okay so of, of any race of any age but we have to make sure that it's very welcoming um that we feel welcome to spend our money in high point or we won't want to spend it there right and i think um, back to an earlier comment uh, about demographics demographics have to be uh should be reflected 
in all in all sectors, not just in uh, population, but also in uh, the business community. Uh, and I think that inspires a confidence from consumers to look around and say, "Okay, I may be of a certain ethnicity. Is there going to be something in the city where I can go and find products specific to to me?" Um, and I think that is, when, when you look at diversifying um, in terms of your, your business base in the city, you have to realize that as your population uh, continues to diversify, cultures change as well. You get more interjections of different cultures in the city. Yeah. Um, and I know we come together in this 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 great melting pot we call America, um, but we still all have uh, you know individual characteristics to us that we want to be represented. And it feels like home when I can go, um, you know, to a Greek restaurant, if I'm Greek, where I can go to a soul food restaurant, if I'm African-American, where I can go to a, a, you know, um, Hispanic grocery store. Uh, It feels like home. And so we want to make sure that we open up opportunities for uh, business opportunities for a diverse community. You know, you know, if if I'm able to move to High Point as an African-American man, start a business and know that I have an opportunity to be successful because the local local infrastructure, whether it be you know business, EDCs, um, banks, capital, all those things are welcoming of me and my product and, or my service to the city, then that will attract other people because now that becomes the greatest marketing plan that you can have. Word of mouth is still the greatest. Someone says, hey, man, I started my business in High Point and I'm thriving. You should look at us. Hey, I, I, I'm i looking to relocate my com- my company. High Point has a very diverse workforce. They're knowledgeable. They're, um, you know, they have great colleges and universities within uh, a short drive of one, one another. They have you know, progressive housing and a, and, a, and a revitalization strategy to move the city forward. You should look at us. Right. And so we believe that all these things are cumulative in the sense of how we build High Point to the future. And and, you know, some people will kind of bristle at the fact that we talk about uh, race and equity and inclusion and diversity. Um, and some people will bristle at that. But. How long can you go before it's upon you? How long can you hold off the change? It's, it's inevitable that this, this country will be more diverse, um, in the next 20 years than it's ever been in this country's history. You know, you can look at the demographic breakdown of High Point. Um, you know, right now we're, if you, we're almost 50 50 when it comes to white versus other minority groups. We're almost there. Um, and so we're reflective of how the country is moving. And we can't continue to exclude those groups from the promise of High Point or America. So, um, you know, if we're going to if we're going to do this um, and we're going to take a High Point and America forward, we have to we have to leverage all the resources and talents and the abilities of the people that are here. And so that's that's where we have to focus. And that's where that's where we have the opportunity um, to bring systemic change uh, to High Point and then to America. If I may add to what um, Councilman uh, Michael said, is that word of mouth is very powerful. Okay, Um, you can show me all day long this and that, but word of mouth is is very powerful. And definitely if I'm looking to if I'm a business owner and I'm looking to bring my company here to high point, I do want to see the diversity in businesses 
okay, that I can make it. There's, there's, you know, people are making it, making it and making a good living at it. And so definitely people are going to look at that. Um, at least they, they should look at that as a warning to move my company, especially my home office here to High Point. So. And I'm going to follow Tyrone's lead and, and add a little bit on that as well. There's a couple of thoughts I want to share. One, one is one to kind of think of something in a reasonable sense. When we look at cities across the country, across the world, um, some of the cities that are the most diverse in how they are reflected in their population um, are also some of the most successful cities when it comes to their economic vitality. So it's almost as if you have this correlation between um, how your diversity shows up in your city and opportunities for those diverse groups to thrive. There's that correlation with that and how successful your city is collectively. Uh, and, and to my second point, I think it adds to that fact that the reason why this ends up being possible is because, in my opinion, uh, from diversity, you get creativity. Yeah. I had this conversation with a great friend of mine, Christy Barber. Um, she's a principal at uh, Barber Spangle Design and um, the founder of High Point Discovery. She and I did this garden conversation on the topic of diversity and, and why it's so important. And essentially what I said is that how do you create what's new when all that is thinking about something is all the same? Right. Essentially to create what's new, you have to interject something different. Right. Yeah. That's there's gotta be some sort of physical chemical compositional transfer and, 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 and diversion uh, in order for something new to truly be created. So if we just look at that in a reasonable and rational sense, how do we create new opportunities? How do we be, in essence, innovative if we're not diverse? Mm-hmm. Diversity breeds creativity. Correct. And creativity obviously breeds new life. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. I feel like uh, we can kind of really dig deeper, right, a lot on this conversation when it comes to, like, uh, you know, in terms of politics and in terms of like local politics and understanding that. But what I want to do is I just want to take a quick break. All right, and what we're going to hear a couple of words about how Piedmont Business Capital helps out different businesses and different individuals in the triad. Hello, um, my name is Cherisha Williams. I am the executive chef and owner of Flavor 57 Personal Chef Services and Catering Company. And we are located here in Winston-Salem. So I'm a native of Winston-Salem, born and raised, and I love our community and just serving our community. I have a passion for food and, like I said, serving others. So it only made sense um, after a layoff with one of the major apparel companies in this area that I decided to go ahead and venture out on my own um, and do something that I love. So prior to COVID, business was up and running. It was exciting. It was growing. So I would say for about two and a half years and then COVID happened. COVID has changed the food service industry altogether with mandated shutdowns or limited operations. Um, We've had to be creative on how to stay open and still serve our community. Um, So I've been able to do that with curbside services, and um, just a lot of private um, services that we offer. 
I heard about Piedmont Business Capital through the Enterprise Center located in Winston-Salem, which I work as a chef out of that establishment. And having received the loan from Piedmont Business Capital has allowed Flavor 57 to expand its services, um, open up a business office, as well as employ um, others in the food industry who may have lost their jobs um, due to COVID. I would like to thank Piedmont Business Capital for believing in my vision and supporting local small businesses such as myself during these challenging times. It really gives us hope and the drive to continue to push through. We're back. All right, so that was just a few words about how Piedmont Business Capital really helps out different communities within the triad. All right, so gentlemen, uh, we're back. You know, we're, we're talking uh, in the first half, talking about how politics and essentially economics and business kind of really falls within like High Point and within the triad. But within, you know, before we wrap things up, I kind of want to get a little bit more deeper into the politics of it all, right? So, you know, we are now in an election season, all right? And I think that there is a common misconception that uh, that is, it's only important, like politics is only important when it comes to a presidential election, because that's where everything kind of gets swayed and stuff like that. And it's a lot of top-down type of mentality. But can you guys, like, you know, kind of really share some, shed some light or some perspective about why it's important about being, like, be more focused on your local politics from a city perspective and maybe your state perspective. Okay. First and foremost, it is um, everybody's right to go vote. I want to encourage everyone to go vote. Um, November 3rd, go out and vote um, because it's very, it's very important. We're, we're given that right. So we need to do that. Um, but your question in reference to local government um I think it's very important that um, that we look at local government um, because local government make things happen in our cities. OK. And again, as uh, Michael said, if something happens in California that that doesn't in a city in California, that doesn't really affect me as much as it will be here in High Point. So local government um, definitely um, changes can happen in your city. Okay. That's why your voice needs to be heard. That's why uh, I encourage people to come to council meetings so your voice can be heard. Okay. If you don't, if you don't go, you don't know. Okay. But you can hear it firsthand because I believe in being transparent. Okay. But if you go to our council meetings, you'll hear it just how it is. Okay. Uh, there'll be no sugar coating on it. You will hear it exactly how it is. So local government, um, opposed to state or, or, or federal, um, government, to me, it, it, it's very important. Okay. Um, because again, things that affect us specifically, uh-huh. okay. Like if we raise taxes, which we're not, but if we would, that's good, going to, good, to, good thing to, that's going to affect us. Right. right. Um, so. And again, we are not in high point. Okay, <laughs> we'll put something on the bottle. <laughs> okay, um, but that that would affect us. Right. Okay, so that's what I'm just trying to say. Think things, local government, 
will affect us really personal opposed to things that and, and things are going to even if the federal or state is, is going to affect us, but definitely local government um, is going to affect us. I think when we talk about representation, uh, representative democracy, I think um, local government is uh, kind of the first link in the chain for representative democracy. It's where uh, people can exercise their voice to change things on an immediate level. As uh, Tyrone was just saying, I think there is um, there's a sense that um, this country is driven from the top down. But when I think about the analogy of building a house, you don't put the roof on first. Right. You lay the foundation and you build the structure on top of that, and then the roof comes down, uh, comes on. So, and I think that's how we need to explain that to people. And I think uh, there's there's been some um, some lost time in terms of America's understanding of civics right. and 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 where they fit uh, in the daily scope of your life. And so I think as we go forward with with local government, we look at um, some of those immediate changes that we talk about. We look at the ability of uh, marginalized communities to not be left out. I think if you don't show up and vote, if you don't exercise that right on the local level, what you do is you kind of instill a complacency, not only in your leaders, but also in your city's progress and what the city uh, believes uh, should be the natural progression of the city. Um, those who benefit from the status quo can maintain the status quo if they're the ones sitting in the seats to, to pass ordinances and, and, and legislation. So um, the one thing that I think that we have to make sure, and this is all levels of, of government, is that we don't get to the point to where politicians are picking their voters instead of voters picking their politicians, their leaders. And I think that's what happens when we don't engage. And so looking at this election, uh, this past election for all of us um, with people showing up in uh, across the city, when people uh, engaging across the city, um, we were able to have an historic election, uh, an election um, that reshaped the council in a way the city has never seen. Um, and so I think that is what we have to make sure that people understand that if you if you want change now, if you need to see change now, um, then it starts at your front door. It starts when you walk out of your home and find your way to City Hall to whether it be give us an idea or yell at us or whatever it may be, but make your voice heard so that uh, your needs are met and, and your and your ideas are, are represented um, uh, at, at the immediate level. And I think um, we've gotten uh kind of misdirected in terms of where change happens. You know, we look at Washington and we believe that it's driven down that way. But most of the time when you're looking at the things that immediately affect your life, that happens at city hall. And so, you know, I I always tell people that, you know, you can get on Facebook all day and pontificate about politics, but if you don't know where city hall is, right. You know, what are, what are you really doing? What change are you making? Facebook advocacy, you know, social media advocacy right. ain't moving nobody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Feet on the ground, showing up at city council meetings, <clears throat> coming um, to, to, to the polls to vote. You know, that's what moves people. And so if you don't make your voice heard, if you don't put that in my ear, if I don't get 
inundated with emails, if I don't get phone calls and voicemails and whatever it might be, um, you know, my the only assumption that that representatives make is that everything is fine. Right. And and so that's um, that's the, the opportunity that we have going forward is that we want to see change. We want to see systemic change. We want to see revolutionary change. Um, and so what we're doing is we're looking at how do we bring every single person into the fold to hear their voice. And that means um, doing something that historically has never been done, streaming city council meetings, right. broadcasting city council meetings, opening up um, uh, council meetings you know, for, for people to, to come in, um, giving them an opportunity to hear it, even for those who can't make it to city hall. Um, so I think that's a way for us to expand the ability for people to hear how their government is working on their behalf or not working on their behalf. And then that drives them to get engaged. So I think that's the important thing. If we want to make change, it comes from the people, not from us. We're instruments of change. They're catalysts of change. Right. You know, to the discussion about local politics and how we emphasize that potentially over the state level and federal level politics, uh, bear with me just for a minute. Mm. EA, you wake up in the morning, <clears throat> you turn on your lights. Right there, you turn on those lights, and what that light bill looks like at the end of the month depends on the electric rate set by mm-hmm. your city council. Also, your electric bill is probably also going to be dependent on if that house is closed up well. And let's just say you don't own the house. You only rent it. Right. So the landlord's really an absentee landlord, mm-hmm. right? Who can make him stay true to what he's supposed to be doing? City government, city council. Go in. Now you want to brush your teeth. Hopefully you're brushing your teeth. (laughs) And I don't need to remind all of us about the Flint water crisis. That issue with Flint and their water and God bless those those residents who are dealing with that and have been dealing with that now for God knows too long. Mm -hmm. That city government is responsible for that. The reason why we don't have a high point water crisis is because we have uh, and, and, and I, I won't say it's really to our chagrin. I think it's been the, the city management and leadership and staff, many years before us who have been committed to making sure that water stays good here in High Point. Right. But that impacts every single thing a person does about their life. Cause now how do they eat? How do they clean themselves? How do they clean their home without good water? Right. Let's keep going. Now you get on the road and you want to just travel safely to get to wherever you got to go. You want to make sure that whatever speed limit is on that road, is a good effective speed limit. That's decided by city government. You want to make sure that those roads are taken care of so they don't beat up your car. That's affected by city government, right? You want to make sure that when you drop your kids off at school, that they're able to be in a school that's good for them. Who impacts that? It's not city government in our case. There are some cities who give oversight to their school systems, but it's our county. But that's local government. Again, I mean, I, I could go on and on and on when a person complains about not being able to provide for their family because they don't have jobs. Well, what brings jobs except that companies and businesses provide the jobs? The companies and businesses are going places where they feel like they can thrive. So the city and local government and city council, we're making decisions about economic development incentive policies that recruit those kind of businesses that can provide jobs so that now you can take care of what you need to take care of. Right. I could literally go on and on and on and talk about how local government has the most significant impact over a person's everyday life and probably the longevity of their lives going forward. 
Understood. Understood. So you, when you guys, you know, speak about in terms of like politics and being involved in local government, uh, you know, you kind of talk about it at a more general level. All right. But as time has uh, progressed throughout this year, like let's just say 2020 as a whole, right, that we've we're basically COVID-19 has literally brought up some really, really ugly truths about what's going on in this country and how there are huge disparities in terms of health, education economics, business, you know, social unrest, and so on and so forth. So the narrative that's kind of being uh, circulated through the internet, right, is that uh, now when it comes to politics, that there needs to be a black agenda, All right. So coming from, you know, your, you know, your tenure as, you know, councilman in the city of High Point, right, how does that, like, is that something that resonates with you, right, and re- <clears throat> something that you kept in account when, you know, uh, going into your your term so i i want to say a bold statement that the plight of black people is the plight of all american people the therefore the black agenda should be the american agenda and so just just bear with me for a second you think about the historical implications of slavery and racial bigotry and discrimination and segregation redlining blackballing marginalization disenfranchisement right of people who are so determined to overcome all of those things to still be successful, to have the kind of resilience, right, that allows them to still capitalize on the American dream, that's exactly what the American spirit is. So when we talk about what the Black agenda is, the Black agenda is really just a fruition and manifestation of what our constitutional values are. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We start with life, Obviously, the most popular topic of this year is just don't kill us if it's unwarranted. Liberty, we want to ensure that we're free to do what other folks are doing and that we won't be persecuted just by the color of our skin. And then in the pursuit of happiness, we're a community um, that despite our, our showing of resilience, it weighs on us, the kind of stuff we go through. And so we're just looking so that for future generations, they won't have to deal with that. And I realized that here in 2020, I don't face what my grandparents faced in the 50s and 60s. I don't face what what so many other folks before me have done to get us to where we are. But it was their work that they did that brings us to where we are now. And so the Black agenda is, in many cases, the insurance that we will continue to live out the American dream. We will continue to see America fulfill its promise of being a land and country for all so that 50 years from now or in 2120, this would be a country that ends up truly uh, harboring the best kind of atmosphere, the best kind of opportunity, the best kind of possibilities for life. We have got to really think about what we say when we say equality. You cannot have equality if you have different standards. Quality education. How is that not a desire of every community? Opportunity for economics. How is that not a a desire for every community? Safety. How is that not a desire for every community? We look at things that are, that appear to be inherently, um, natural for 
society. And we somehow think that African-Americans don't want the exact same things. We, we get otherized in this country when I want the same thing as my white neighbor. I want the same thing as my Hispanic neighbor. I want the same thing. Uh, and my, my, my Filipino neighbor wants the same thing as I want. So, um, the, the, the development and the manifestation of the black agenda needs to begin with the foundational belief that we all want the same things in life. We all want our kids to have an opportunity to be successful. We all want to be able to leave a legacy for our, you know, for our families. We all want the same things. Now, have those things always been afforded to every group? No. That's where we begin. The agenda is set. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, as uh, Councilman Jefferson just, said, just stated. But what we don't have is we don't have that historical foundation of it being provided. This country has been sold as a meritocracy, and it certainly has not been. And so if we want to get to the point to where no one asks the question about the black agenda, we have to get to the point where we're starting from the same point, the same standard. That's when we get to the point where we say, you make of yourself what your ability will allow. That's what we want. We don't want additional treatment. We don't want the only thing that we want. We don't want equal outcomes. We want equal opportunity. We want to I want to be judged on the same exact standard. I want to walk into a bank knowing that my credit score is just like my white counterpart, knowing that I'm going to either get that loan or not get that loan based on those criteria and not my ethnicity and not my skin. So it's like the benefit of the doubt. It's like the benefit of the doubt. We have not been historically afforded the benefit of the doubt. And that's where I think um, when you hear, when I hear the black agenda, I, I, I bristle because it almost puts us in a position to where we're internalizing being other. And we are we are as integral to the fabric of this nation as any group that's ever set foot on the soil of this nation. And we have got to stop allowing ourselves to be externalized when we have been the heartbeat. We have been the foundation. We have been the, the backs of in the labor and the blood that this, that's been spilled on the soil to change this nation. If anyone um, has the right to say that I want to be treated uh, equally, if I want the same standards to apply as African-Americans. But I think what happens is because you want there, there are some people who who even acknowledge that, but don't want to provide it. Then we have these delineations of what agenda should be. And what we actually want is for America to make good on the contract that all men are created equal. That we can pursue life, liberty and happiness fairly, that we can uh, make of ourselves what our ability will allow us deliver on that original contract. Then we can talk about um, how we make America um, the country that it's supposed to be. And that's where we have to start. So, uh, you know, when I hear about a black agenda, I, 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 I kind of think of that as addressing the structural deficiencies, not the actual aspects of what we need to to, to make our lives um, fruitful in this country. I, I would say that um, 
I, I recall the song that came out that says, um, I just want to live. Okay. And I want the same while I'm living. I want the same opportunities that are afforded to others. Okay. Um, when I go into a store uh, to go purchase something, I don't want the clerk to always go follow behind me. Okay. When someone else would come in the store and they don't follow them. Okay. And while you're looking at me because I'm black, you have someone else there that's stealing from me. Okay. I want to go to a bank and have, if I have the credit score of 700, just like my white counterpart. Okay. I want you to take me serious. Just like you're taking them. If I come with a plan for to open up a business, I want you to take me just as serious as my white counterpart. Okay. So the black agenda, okay, should be the American agenda. We, we should have the same opportunities. Okay. Because if you cut me, I'm going to bleed and it's going to be red. If you cut a white person, they're going to bleed. It's going to be red. Hispanic is going to be red. Okay. So why can't we be treated the same? I may not look the same. I may not talk the same, but I still want to be treated as you would treat someone else. So the, the, the black agenda is not that we have our own agenda. Okay. We just want to live and we want to be treated as you would treat someone else. Okay. The opportunities are there. Okay. But they should be there for all of us. Okay. That's why I, I being the um, representative of, of the at large where I represent the entire city. Okay. Not just a ward. So I'm looking at the opportunities for us all. When a new business comes or thinking about coming to, to high point, what are the, you know, the opportunities for all? Okay. But the black agenda, okay, has to be where we are all included in the American dream. Okay. I don't want you to stop me and, and, and kill me. Okay. I want you to treat me just like if you stop someone else, if they were a different race. We just want fairness. We deserve fairness. Okay, we work this American dream. This America could not be where we are currently at without black people. Okay, so we just want and it's not just all of us, but it's all of us that make this United States of America. And and we just want to be treated fairly. Okay, we we want to be and we desire and, you know, we're not going to take it that we're not going to be treated. Um, not fair because it bothers me when I can, I can go into a store and, and I did this a while back. Um, I went in the store with, with one of my friends. He was white. Of course, I'm black. And the person kept asking me, okay, about, can I help you find something? Okay. I said real nicely. No, I'm just, I'm just looking as my friend said the same thing, but I can see you constantly viewing me. I look at what I'm doing. 
Okay. And I had more money in my pocket than my white friend did. But you were looking at me because I was black. And he commented on it after the fact and said, yeah, she was all up on you because you were, were black. Okay. And so I just chose not to do business with that type of person. Okay. But the black agenda is just simply the American dream, life, liberty. But we want to live. Okay. We want to live. So, gentlemen, I really want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to, you know, come and speak with us, uh, you know, for the viewers or for the listeners, uh, you know, paying attention to this conversation. Like, there's a lot that we've talked about. Right. And it is very, very important. So I just really, I really, I just want to commend you guys for, you know, coming out and be able to share anything. But is there any last things that you want to share about anything, any new initiatives that are coming up for the state of High Point, city of High Point? Anything would you like? I'd like to offer a thought um, because I want to recognize that the potential of this event and this moment to reach people. It's so important and it's so crucial that folks understand, um, hopefully an all encompassing perspective about this. And I, I feel like there's, there's a hole in some arguments that I want to bring up. And it's that a lot of times when, when some people see black people advocating for the rights and this black agenda that we're talking about, they assume that somehow it's some complaint that's unwarranted and that ultimately we just need to accept responsibility for actions and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And I, I, I like to bring that to light and just say this very simply and very plainly. Even if we didn't want to admit all of the bigotry and racism and bias and discrimination that takes place today, we know that for a fact slavery existed. We know that for a fact they wrote books saying that black people were inherently dumber and not as good <clears throat> as white people. We also know for a fact that government got in the way of allowing black people to be successful. And so when you look at government leaders such as ourselves sitting up here and seeing the work that we do and why we're so vigilant about moving this forward, it's because while none of us right now are to blame for what happened back then, we're not going to assume that blame, but we have to assume the responsibility for fixing it. And if government is in some ways the impediment that kept our people from moving forward back then, government has to become the catalyst and vehicle for allowing them to move forward now. Awesome. All right. So that was this episode of Flatten the Curve, Strengthen the Black Dollar. Until next time, continue to flatten the curve and strengthen the black dollar. Have a good one. Thank you.